As Tom mentioned, we started a new series uh, three weeks ago. This will be the third week uh, that we entitled We Are the Church. You know, why this series? In these times of confusion and conflict, it's important to remember who we are. So today I want to start with a brief definition of the church and then begin to answer two big questions. What does it mean in general to be the church? What does the church do? And then secondly, what does it mean to be the church now? When we can't be together physically, when we can't agree on what's true and right and good politically and culturally, and when we're mad at one another. Now here's my definition of the church. The church is Christ's body, the community of Christ's followers, who in the power of the Holy Spirit continue Christ's work of redemption, salvation, and restoration on the earth. By the commissioning of Jesus and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, the church is called to be the visible presence of life of Christ on earth. The church is called to be the visible presence of Christ on earth. Now I'm going to move to my first big question. What does it mean to be the church generally? We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, so you can turn there. Now here's the context. Jesus says, uh, Luke records in Acts 1, 1 verse 5, that Jesus told the disciples who were uh, waiting in Jerusalem after his death and resurrection, they're, they're waiting. Jesus told them to wait for the promise of the Father. Acts chapter 2 tells us that the promise of the Father came. On the day of Pentecost, the Spirit was sent by Jesus, and he came to the disciples. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the wonders, the mighty acts of God. And people gathered, and they could hear what the disciples were saying. They could hear them in their very own languages. Large, large crowd of people gather, and Peter proclaims what the message of the gospel is, who Jesus is, what he has done for us. He calls them to repentance, and they repent. And 3,000 people are saved on that day. And now that's what we're picking up in the narrative. So Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I want you to notice the first three words. They devoted themselves. What does this mean? It means they chose to make their relationship with with Christ and his body their highest priority. They gave it their focused time, 
attention, and energy. They committed their lives to following Jesus and loving his church. They made this central to who they were and what they did. They were devoted. Kind of in the same way Tom Brady is devoted to football. It shaped all of his life, their devotion to Jesus, to his church, his mission, shaped the lives of the early disciples. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching together. Now, for practical purposes, the apostles' teaching became the New Testament. And the New Testament is a reflection upon the Old Testament scriptures in light of their fulfillment in the coming, the ministry, the teaching, and the commandments of Jesus, the Son of God. So for us, devoting ourselves to the apostle teaching means to give disciplined, focused attention to reading, reflecting upon, obeying, and applying the Bible. Now, I was struck by a quote by, from Brandon O'Brien. He said, the truth is, many of us engage scripture directly a whole lot less than we think. We talk about the Bible, we read commentary on the Bible, we listen to sermons about the Bible, we complete devotions inspired by the Bible. But many of us spend more time reading someone's take on Scripture than we spend reading Scripture. We revere the Bible, but we rarely, really read it. I I think there's some truth in that. So question to ask ourselves, am I devoted to reading the Bible itself? Am I really reading it on a very regular, consistent basis? All this other stuff is helpful, but it can't take the place of reading the actual Bible for ourselves. Luke records too that the early church devoted themselves to fellowship. Now that word translated as fellowship is a Greek word koinonia. We often think of fellowship as the time we spend chit-chatting together before or after a service. It's friendly, you know, casual conversation for the most part. Well, that word koinonia, that word fellowship, includes this, but it's a lot more than this. Koinonia is a strong word. It means living a common life with others. This common life together is based on our shared commitment to Jesus as our Lord and Savior and our shared experience of the Holy Spirit sent to us by Jesus. On the basis of our common commitment to Christ and our common experience of the Spirit, we choose to share life with others. And we give ourselves to becoming an intentional community of people who commit themselves to one another's well-being. We choose to see one another in Christ as brothers and sisters, as family. Biblical fellowship isn't chit-chat. It's putting into practice all the one another statements of the Bible, 
love, devotion, building up, encouraging, accepting, forbearing with, admonishing, caring, being kind, helping, esteeming, comforting, stirring one another up. It's the body life described in Ephesians 4 in which one helps the other become more mature in Christ. Luke also records that the early church devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, scholars are a bit divided about what this means. Does it simply mean sharing meals together, eating together? I like that. Or does it refer to celebrating the Lord's supper together? I like that too. Both are important and necessary. But I I think that Luke is referring to the Lord's Supper where we remember and give thanks for what Jesus has done for us through his cross and resurrection. Celebrating the Lord's Supper is a conscious, intentional, disciplined, structured way of reminding ourselves of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus on our behalf. And it's a declaration of Jesus' victory over sin and Satan and death. It's a calling. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, we're called to examine our lives, to repent afresh, and to receive afresh the indwelling Holy Spirit and the good news of the gospel. And having received it in our lives to proclaim it. And then Luke says they devoted themselves to the prayers together. Now our NIV translation of the Greek text says prayer, singular, but the text, the actual text is plural. Devout Jews kept three set times of prayer together, early morning, afternoon, evening, each day. And it seems like the early church followed the Jewish pattern of worship and prayer in a lot of ways, including in this aspect of following set times of prayer throughout the day. We get a sense of that even in Acts 3 where it says Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer. But the point here is that prayer is not something that we can leave to chance. It's not something we do when we happen to get around to it. It shouldn't be something we happen to do when we get around to it. Prayer must be something that is rooted in the structure and fabric of our day-to-day lives, however, that, however we choose to make that happen. Prayer was rooted in the life of Jesus in the early church. It needs to be so for us. And so I think there's actual value in having set structured times in our own lives for prayer daily. If you don't want to do that, figure out a way that actually works for you so that happens. Now, what was the result of all this? What, what were the characteristics of the, first, of, the, of the early church, this first church? Well, we're told that they were filled with awe. They were people of generosity. They had sincere gladness. They gathered together with sincere gladness of heart. They, they praised God with the fullness of their hearts, with all of who they were mind and heart and soul. And there was a magnetic attraction about them such that every day people were being added to their numbers. People saw their life. They experienced the life that was flowing from these people and said, we want some. And they joined in. 
Aren't those the kinds of characteristics we want to be true for us as a fellowship, as a community, as Christ's body? Of course they are, right? May it be so. I think it is so, at least in part. May it become more and more so for us here at The Journey and for, his, and for Christ church globally. This isn't just for The Journey. It's for the whole church globally. Now, as, as I was working on this sermon, I, I had this, this moment, if you will, where I was just struck with, with gratitude. I, I actually started crying. And it was because I started remembering illustration after illustration, one after another after another of, after another of the body of Christ at work on my behalf. I thought of Alan and Todd going out of their way to, getting, to get my snowblower up and running. I thought of Cody patiently giving me the advice I need to get my internet connection working properly. I, I thought of all the encouragement and prayers I received from our life group. The encouragement, the prayers, the example of the lives they're living. I thought of how... Um, I thought about all, in our, it just in our life group, all the traumas and losses people have experienced over the last year or two and the ways that they have dealt with that. And, it, and, and watching them grounded me and strengthened me to stay connected to Christ. I thought of our seniors group and of the example they are to me of what faithfulness over the long haul looks like and can be. I thought of Dave Mawson and Ted Appleby and Todd Desolates who reached out to me when they found out that my nephew died a couple weeks ago. I thought of Len and Hallie and their example of joy and devotion in the midst of deep trials. I thought of our journey staff and our preaching team who keep showing up day after day being faithful to encourage others and to do good every day day. I thought of Pat and George Yancey who pour out wisdom and kindness and generosity to every one of my weekly calls with them. And I thought of our Stephen ministry team who are redeeming the traumas they have endured in their own lives to bring comfort to those who are hurting now. Here's the thing. This is what really struck me. I haven't even begun to scratch the surface and mentioning all the people just in this past year who have loved me and cared for me, blessed me from this body of Christ. All of you. I am daily being held, being shaped, being sustained by the faithfulness and love of my brothers and sisters in Christ here at the journey some others outside the journey as well, but uh, daily. All right, now let me get to the elephants in the room. How do we be like the church in Acts when we can't be together physically? I mean, let's face it. Gathering around our Zoom screens is not what we dream of, not what we were used to doing, and it's not what we want, right? 
But the unwelcome truth is that we can't go back to what we are used to doing, at least for now. So we have a choice. We can just give up, go into isolation, hibernation, let ourselves fall into a deep spiritual sleep, or we can get up and get creative and choose to make the most of our situation and the options available to us. And lots of us have been doing, lots of you have been doing this. So let me start by talking about our worship services. I'm asking you, all of you, all of us, to join in an experiment together for the next four weeks. And then, at the end of those four weeks, assess what, what the, what that's, what's happened. This is what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to go all in. Go all in. This is what I mean by go all in. Pray for our worship services and for your experience in our worship services throughout the week. Pray for God's direction and empowering of the worship team, for whoever is preaching, for the tech team, and anyone else involved in a worship service. Pray for yourself and for all those who will be listening that God would be preparing our hearts and minds and souls to truly worship. We're not gathering for entertainment. We're gathering for worship. Get on our live stream 10 minutes early. Why? It's so you can greet one another through the chat bar, but then for the rest of it, to quiet yourself, to settle in and prepare yourself to worship. Make yourself fully present. Please, I'm asking you again. I always ask this. Please do not multitask. Remind yourself that you are in the presence of the living God. You're in the presence of the Lord. You're not in front of a screen alone. You're in front of Jesus. Give him your fullest attention. Do virtually what you would do when you were in a service, a worship service, physically. Get involved physically. Stand up for the worship songs. Sing out loud. Raise your arms. Close your eyes. Bow your head. Kneel. Do whatever you need to do physically to be all in, to give yourself fully. Do whatever helps you to respond in awe, in reverence, in openness, in thanksgiving, in praise, in surrender. Pay close attention to the sermon. Don't pay, don't pay close attention just for information. Pay close attention so that you can hear the voice of God speaking to you through the sermon. We're listening for the voice of God given to us, spoken to us personally. And then respond to God in whatever way seems right to you as you participate in worship. Okay? Now let's talk about the other elephant in the room. How can we be the church when we can't agree? Well, I'd like to suggest that we remember first, first of all, most important, remember who it is you're disagreeing with. Your, it's your brother, your sister, 
in Christ. You're disagreeing with God's beloved. You're disagreeing with people for whom Christ died. We have to hold that in the forefront of our minds. And then secondly, I I would suggest that you need to be clear, try to be clear about what your disagreements are. And then to look for what you have in common, what you do agree about, what values you share. I'm part of a weekly Tuesday morning men's gathering. We meet early in the morning uh, every Tuesday. Now, I've been friends with this group of folks, this group of men for a long, long time. We disagree strongly about a whole host of political positions, about public policy positions. We, we just disagree strongly, vociferously, sometimes angrily. But here's the thing. We agree about a lot of end goals. And almost all of the values each of us holds, we hold in common. So, we share the same values. We agree on most of our hope for end results. We just happen to disagree about the best way to get there. I think that's true for a lot of the disagreements we're currently having within the church, not just the journey, but the church as a whole. We hold a lot of values in common. We have a lot of goals in common. We just have different paths, different, we think are the best way to get there. So we need to find out what's really behind our disagreements. Let's be really, really clear about that. And then, as we do that, then let's talk about ways to get there. And sometimes we just have to agree to disagree on the ways, but affirm the values and the goals. Now, the early church gets uh, idealized in our own lives a lot. And the disciples, we tend to idealize the Jesus' disciples, but the truth is, the Bible doesn't. What we know about the disciples is they're a whole lot like us. They're a whole lot like us. Mark 10, 32 and following, Jesus, uh, Mark records that the disciples, Jesus tells them, you know, for the third time, that he's gonna be arrested, mocked, tortured, crucified, and then he's gonna rise from the dead. How do they respond to that? they start arguing amongst themselves about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom. And so Jesus has to call them together, kind of rebuke them, and kind of reprioritize their, help them reprioritize their values and their thinking. They're arguing about petty things. But they're arguing strong, and they get mad at one another about that. And... Uh, Chapter 1 of Mark, 16 through 20, Jesus record, uh, Mark again records that Jesus calling first four disciples, Peter and Andrew, James and John, who all were fishermen. He, it, it, Mark says, says that Jesus was walking by the sea of, along the Sea of Galilee, sees him, calls him to himself. Mark 2, 
Jesus is still walking along the Sea of Galilee. He comes to the place where the tax collector's booth is. There's a guy named Levi in there who's a tax collector. And Jesus calls him. Here's what I want you to recognize. That tax collector's booth was by the sea because that tax collector was collecting, I, I should say, extorting taxes from Peter and James, Peter and Andrew, James and John. I don't think they were friends. I think they probably hated one another. And yet here they are now in the body of believers, Christ's disciples. And somehow over time, they got past their, they got past their past. And they held on to what they had in common. Jesus. Some, we need to do some of that as well. We need to let go of some stuff. We need to let go of grievances. We need to repent of sins toward one another. We need to forgive. Now, forgiveness isn't minimizing the hurt. It isn't excusing the sin. It's not forgetting the sin. It's choosing not to be shaped, defined, or imprisoned by it. Scripture tells us anyone who does not love remains in death. This is from 1 John 3, verses 14 and 15. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. We're told in the Sermon of, of the Mount, on the Mount to forgive those who have sinned against us. So, let's work through our disagreements and let go of our anger against one another. Let's choose to, to forgive and choose to love. Let's be the church. Let's be the church together. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Father, thank you for the giving of your son to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, you came to give us life. Thank you that we have been reconciled to one another in Christ and by the Holy Spirit. Lord, this is all true. Help us to live in that truth. To love, and to live together in a way that helps us to be the visible presence of Christ on this earth. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. Thank you.